Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Also, as you're listening to one of our early podcasts, may I suggest you skip to at least episode 12, where I guarantee it gets much better. Hello and welcome to the first Knowledge is Powder podcast of 2018. I am Jim Duncan and my co-host is Ian Martin. This week we are joined by Charlie Owen, Managing Director of European Pubs and representative of the group Seasonal Business in Tourism. Charlie has been described by Ian Martin as, yeah, I remember that guy from back in the day, which I think you'll agree no higher accolade could be bestowed on a, uh, an individual at all. Welcome, Charles, to the podcast. Thank you very much and thank you for that accolade, Ian. I remember you too. <laughs> Well, I'll get a T-shirt for you, don't worry. Um, Ian, have you, uh, have you been skiing since Christmas? Um, well, not since <clears> Christmas. <throat> I'm away next week uh, to the French Pyrenees, so I'm hoping that um, it might not be snowmageddon, but they've got some pretty decent snow out there, so as long as the weather plays ball, that should be good. And uh, have you been to the Pyrenees before? Mm, yes, I have been to... I've skied in the French Pyrenees in Barege and the Spanish Pyrenees in Bakira, but that was in a... Yeah, different lifetime. I was a university student at the time, so I obviously don't remember any of it. <laughs> um, Charlie, have you been skiing? I have. Um, I took a gamble a few months ago about uh, going out for Premier Neige, um, which seems to have paid off quite nicely. So I had a wonderful week skiing before Christmas in Maribel, um, and possibly some of the best December conditions I, th- I think I've skied in my my short twenty year skiing history. Ooh, blimey, big news. Um... I mean, obviously, you all want to know about my ski holiday. It was great. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I went to a little place called Conge, just outside um, uh, Aosta town, just down the road from Chamonix. Um, and have a really nice time. And can I tell you something? You I, I did five ski seasons as a snowboarder. And uh, since then, I've only been snowboarding maybe two or three times. But every other time, I've tried to learn to ski. And this time, I really think I got it. And I've really got the bug for skiing, which I'm really excited about. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I went so far as to grow a ski beard, and we spent the entire trip back planning to buy a place. Absolute cliches. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian, have you got any um, New Year's resolutions uh, for skiing this year? Uh, well, obviously, I've resolved to only ever go skiing in perfect conditions when there's really deep powder. So that should be pretty easy to, to keep. Failing, good season to start that one. Yeah, failing that one, I did manage to go out to Zermatt uh, last uh, December and forgot to take uh, my my kind of fleece, my Patagonia fleece with me, meaning I had to wear a cotton hoodie, which wasn't very suitable. So I will remember to take my ski stuff with me on ski trips is going to be another resolution. I have resolved to, um, the next time I go skiing, is to build an igloo and spend the night in it. 
Okay, good luck. Are you going to take your kids with you on that one as well? Uh, well, I'm assuming that no one's going to want to join me, so it's going to be the only night's sleep I get. Okay, well, I'll be, you know, Inuits have been doing it for years. I'm sure you can you can work it out as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure they've got a better building skills. I was pretty bad at woodwork. I can't see that translating to ice. <laughs> um, right, let's uh, let's crack on with the news. First up is the news that uh, the Catalonian government in Spain has put into place laws that will see skiers and boarders wear helmets with number plates on the back so they can be caught on speed cameras and fined. Um, sadly, Ian, I've got to confess, this is not a real story. It's fake. It's fake news. Yeah. Um... It's a bit of a shame. I first spotted the uh, story on Twitter um, with a link to, which is essentially the equivalent to the UK's um, Planet Ski. Um, only this website seems to have a penchant for making up the odd story. And I was definitely sucked in. I mean, I was suspicious as I read it that the Catalonian government has time to worry about this um, in the current situation. But like all good journalists, I've read all the way to the bottom of the article, which is when I realised that it probably wasn't um, uh, a real story as there were other laws that they were going to bring in, such as the suggestion of banning the eating of tangerines on a chairlift. <laughs> I'm not sure if it covers all. I don't know if it covers all citrus fruit, yeah. but um, an interesting law. Okay, so, um, so the news is just, literally, you know, fake news. The news is that um, I'm not very good at my job, essentially. It's a good, it's a good um, story. However, I'm good. It is a good story. I don't want to persevere and say it was true. Ian, do you do you wear a helmet? And is compulsory wearing a helmet a good thing? Right, is wearing a helmet a good thing if if everyone had to do it? Um, I'm a libertarian, really. I think you should choose whether you want to wear a helmet. Uh, you know, I do wear a helmet some of the time, but not if I'm just kind of skiing around very slowly on piste, which obviously I do lots of the time. Yeah, I've, I've heard you're a, a very good snowflower. <laughs> um, Ch Charlie, Charlie, in this report, it said if it was true that it was going to be a 20 kilometre hour limit on the green slopes, 40 kilometres hours on the blue slopes, and up to a hundred kilometre an hour speed limit mm, on black slope. Do, um, do you think that's a, a theoretical I've, I've fair proposal? I think my perspectives on this have changed since having young children. Um, and a number of times, actually, on the green slopes, I've I've been a little bit concerned about my kids and the speed that some people are going past. Um, that said, uh, I'm I'm not in favour of. Um, speed restrictions on individual slopes but it might be an idea if there were actually a few more ski patrol people out and spotting people that they think are skiing dangerously and just having a bit of a bit of a bit of a chat with them i think it's a fairly good fairly good answer is that yeah maybe yeah, there should be some patrollers out there having a word with the slightly more reckless among us you don't, you don't really get that in France, do you? I mean, in the States, I think, or in North America skiing, that does happen. And you do have people, um, you know, literally pulling over skiers and warning them to, uh, to ski more slowly. But, uh, you know, in Europe, um, it doesn't really exist that. And it's not necessarily just about the speed, um, because look, and, I, and I've been out skiing within myself, um, you, you, it is fairly possible to be going quite quickly if you are on the side of the piece, if your, if your turns are measured 
if other people can see and predict what you're doing and you're obeying the rules of the beast um and somebody actually skiing quite fast on the side is pro um but but a good and um, very competent skier is probably a lot safer than somebody that's necessarily flatlining it down a green run is going a lot slower but a, but a lot more dangerous to other piece users essentially to sum this up if we were younger we'd probably say this is a rubbish idea but as we're a bit older maybe we should um, consider it a bit more uh, right now to someone who's actually got some news ian uh yeah um well the the news really is that there's been a lot of snow which we're going to come on to in detail but last weekend in particular it caused a lot of problems uh, like in our, in our previous uh, podcast Vanessa mentioned that uh, the only problem with huge amounts of snow is when it happens on a transfer day. And obviously it happened last Saturday, uh, the 30th of December, I think that was, when you've got everyone leaving resort who was there for Christmas week and everyone who's going for New Year's week arriving. And at the same time, there's a huge amount of snow, which meant that um, on that, particularly going into the Tarantes Valley, which is where You've got the three valleys, you know, Mirabel, Courcheval, then La Plan, Les Arcs, and then at the end, uh, La Rosière, Val d'Isère, and Team. Uh, that, there's only one way into that valley, and it's along that sing on that road from uh, Albaville down to Moutier de Bourg-Saint-Maurice. And basically, it came to a, a halt, that road. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, people had to sleep in their cars overnight. There were a few people who, who did that, but flights into... Um, Chambéry were cancelled uh, and big companies with lots of tour operators had to work out what to do. The, uh, some of the flights were uh, rescheduled, oh, sorry, re-assigned uh, um, to Grenoble. But some clients ended up um, being put on their transfer coach that would have just taken them to the airport and sent all the way back to the UK, um, eventually having to cross by ferry. And I think taking them something like 18 hours to get back no 27 and a half hours this guy told the independent just to get from team back to his back to gatwick so pretty difficult situation and a few people moaned about it but having been a rep myself i have a lot of sympathy for the tour operators and for the reps because in those circumstances it's you know effectively it's a it's a nightmare for, for you as well as for the guests I mean, people need to realise that it's an extreme sport based on relying on extreme weather. So these things are inevitable. And I th I'm with you, in. I think I think that um, that putting them on the coach possibly was the right idea. If that was the decision made, it got you them know, for, in those in, yeah in those circumstances, you know, there, there is no other plane. You can't just summon up another plane to take people home if all the uh, seats on them are taken because it's New Year as well. Uh, so you know, it was a solution that got them got them back. Uh, and, you know, some people say, oh, you know, we could have just stayed in resort. But it's it's unfeasible to try and keep people to stay in resort when it's also New Year's week and it's completely full there. Where are you going to put people? Yeah, there's people arriving, people leaving. There's, it's not like you can magic these things up. It's um, it's an impossible situation, essentially. I mean, I've been in situations when someone has just gone, what are you, what are you going to do about all this snow? I'm like, well, there's very little I can do about all this snow. Um, it's just a natural and occurrence. And I think the difference is from when from when I was a rep, and I had one particular transfer day where there was an avalanche on the road uh, between Moutier and and Mirabel, and without going into details, you know, it was a, it was a very difficult getting in and out of resort. 
but uh, it was pre-social uh, media. And these days, uh, clients, you know, are on uh, Twitter straight away having a go at their tour operators. And what I what I found amusing is when I was looking around about it, there were people on Twitter going, oh, ski well, uh, no, Inghams, you're a disaster. Crystal are handling it really well. And then you, you look, uh, you know, slightly further down the thread and you've got people going, oh, Crystal, what on earth are you doing? Inghams have got it sorted out. No, really, you can't win if you're a tour operator in these kind of situations. Oh, absolutely not. I've, I have all the sympathy for those people. And I know, it's probably only one or two guests. That's the other thing. Everyone else, you know, understands the situation. Charlie, I guess the only trouble you have is um, if you've got a beer delivery on a, on a day like that. Uh, yes, that it does make it a little bit harder. Um, also, it's the snow clearing just outside the venues. Um, but look, Generally, the the reason that we're all involved in this is um, to have fun on the mountain. So the more snow there is, the more fun that can be had. Bring it on. Absolutely. Um, Charlie, is there any, any news that you have for us? Yes, there is, actually. Um, so it's around um, a, a brand new venue opening in Maribel. Uh, so my company, European Pubs, um, for those that aren't familiar, uh, we own and operate Jack's Bar. Um, so a very popular upper ski venue and Evolution Restaurant. Uh, it's again another popular venue in Maribel. Um, we've now opened our third venue in Maribel. It's in the centre, so very close to the tourist office and the bus stop. Uh, the venue is called Copinia. Um, and it is a tapas bar, um, and we are focusing on uh, fine wines, um, very nice cocktails, and I can say that because I have tried every one of them on the menu at the moment, um, and craft beers, and as I said, um, some sharing plates of tapas. Um, so the venue opened uh, middle of December. Um, we're, we're very pleased with it so far. The reports back from our customers um, seem to think that we're, we're doing something right there. So so yeah, that's our new news. Uh, Maribel has a new um, tapas, uh, tapas venue in central town. Excellent. Um, I think the thing I picked out there was craft beer. I thought that's always um, something that missed uh, the Alps for me um, when I was doing the season. So I'm I'm happy that that's uh, finally been resolved. Yes, um, we we've got six on tap at the moment, um, and we've got some very good relationships uh, with brewers back in the UK. Um, so we're going to be rotating around the craft beers um, and see what works and what's popular. But it's it's certainly a trend in the UK that um, we're we're quite pleased to bring over to to the French Alps and to Maribel um, with Capinia. Amazing, and that was um, all the news we've got this week. Now it's time for the snow report. Well, as Ian described in the news, it's definitely snowmageddon now. There's been two metres across many of the resorts in the Alps with more expected. Zermatt um, has um, the biggest prediction over the next few days with a mental 300 centimetres predicted. I'm not sure if that will actually happen, but that's a huge snowfall. Um, it's safe to say that conditions in Central Europe are pretty good at the moment. Um, it's maybe not quite the best in the last decade, as that goes to the 2012-13 season, where in December, um, 270 centimetres fell um, in the three valleys, which is 100, cent uh, 100 centimetres more than it was this month, or the last month. Um, over in North America and Canada, temperatures are low and snow has fallen between Christmas and New Year. Uh, let's put it this way, Niagara Falls has frozen. That's how cold it is. 
Um, there's also been snow on the Scottish hills already this year with all resorts currently open, although none have the full area open at the moment. Yeah. And for those of you heading to Poland for some skiing, um, you can be happy that there is good snow coverage. Uh, and while they may not have the best uh, snow in the Alps, there's still plenty and good piece coverage. Um, did you know I that there are over 250 that, resorts I have, in Poland? I have been to Zakopane in Poland, which uh, I can I can recommend as very being very good value. Uh, ski ski areas, uh, you know, not the largest, but um, I had a great time when I was there. But they are currently definitely they're not okay. um, they're not suffering from snowmageddon um, like they are in the European Alps. What's the best bit of um, viral uh, you've seen, seen about this? Uh, been, uh, this snowing? I mean, there's been some. There's been some amazing pics from the the, uh, the Espaskili area, Valdezere team. You've now seen one photo which, you know, pretty much shows a four-metre pile of snow down in Fournay at the far end of Valdezere. There have been some avalanches across the road and a couple of guys uh, just took a, a video out of their window of this avalanche coming down the mountain when there is laughter. It's definitely nervous laughter. They're not really too sure how much of a, a you know, how big that avalanche is going to be. And there's a, a subsequent photo because they only just cleared that road to Fournay where you've got chalet guests at the far end there who've been cut off. And you can see a bus going along there with massive walls of snow on either side, which are higher than the bus itself. <laughs> it's not that one. I see that one. Um, I like the. I saw that. Did you see the one um, in that Austrian resort where the guests were still? There was still skiers. Um, guests. That's how. That's still industry, isn't it? Um, there's still skiers on on the chairlift, and it was going rocking from side to side um, to the point where it was almost level with the. the okay. The because of high wind going yeah. across, very scary. Right. I'm amazed they let them get on it in the first place. Yeah, because of high winds. Because I mean, that's another part of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, very, very similar. Most it's of the been, school I mean, have closed, haven't they? Um, a lot of people saying, oh, how do we days. get our refund? Which is not unreasonable. You know, you're in a resort where you're paying, you know, a large amount of money for your lift pass and then you can't go uh, skiing and the, the resorts are having to, because normally they always manage to open a drag lift or something and they go, oh, well, some of the area was open. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they weren't able to do that on just, Wednesday. Just to cover sure, themselves, so. yeah. I think there are various resorts are sorting out refunds. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. I do think that is right. Um, and that is the snow report. Yeah, so time for some ski deals for 2018. Um, I've got one Club Med in Arc 2000 from the 1st of April, fly from Luton, is only £1,149 per person, which is great. It's in the Easter holidays. Um, and because it's Club Med, it's all inclusive. So you get food, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, you get ski pass right. and ski hire or lessons um, all for that price. Um, it's, this was recommended by friend of the show right. and the best travel Sorry, agent I know, Dave Rumor, ifyouski.com. Arc 2000. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had friends um, Club Med, Club Arc Med 2000. for years and they, they love it. They think it's great. And I think a bit more of a mixed clientele, you know, meet people from different countries as well.
I think people who go on Club Med holidays are massive converts, <laughs> like yeah. um, like the Lidl convert. They yeah. go on about it and they absolutely love it. And there must be a good reason for it. Charlie, have you got any deals? Just fantastic cocktails every time you come into Cabinia. <laughs> there we go. Shameless plugging. Ian? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, snow is obviously great. Depends how flexible you are. If you haven't got kids and you've got a, a flexible life, I would get out there over the next couple of weeks because, you know, it is going to clear up. You're going to have unbelievable snow. And there's some amazing uh, offers around at the moment. Um, Le Ski, uh, one of my clients, and uh, they've got um, one of their chalets in Cheval 1650 Rikiki. There, there are cheaper deals, but this is 599 flights from uh, from Gatwick and chalet accommodation. Chalet Rikiki is right by the slopes, so you can ski literally uh, to the door with conditions uh, as they are at the moment. And, you know, I just, uh, yeah, when my kids go to uni, uh, or possibly when they're 13, uh, I might be able to sneak away in January. For one well, are they 13 this month, are they? <laughs> no, they're still only 11 at the moment. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to I'm trying to try to find some reason to go out um, uh, in the next few weeks. I'm sure I will find that. Right, that was all our ski deals for this week. Knowledge is powder, the nonsensical name for the nonsensical podcast. This is the podcast for skiers and snowboarders. To get in touch with the show, tweet at the ski podcast or email the ski podcast at gmail.com. Now, this week we are joined by Charlie Owen, managing director of the audaciously named Europeans company, uh, pub company. Considering they've just got three bars in Maribel, I'm assuming they've got. A, I'm assuming you've got a big plan to uh, expand very rapidly. Um, uh, although, I mean, they're great pubs. Me and Ian, um, I've been to a few with Ian, um, Jackson, Evo, and obviously the new bar Capina, as we've been talking about. Uh, I'm recommending them. I think they're very good pubs, but that isn't the reason he's here to talk to us. Um, he's here as a representative of the Seasonal Business and Tourism Group uh, and to talk about how Brexit can affect your ski holiday. And more specifically, specifically, more specifically, how the British industry is staffed overseas, a topic that Ian and myself have absolutely zero knowledge about. Um, Charlie, thank you very come, uh, for coming on. Firstly, who is um, the Seasonal Business and Tourism Group or SBIT? Um, who are they? Well, we're a collection of British business leaders in the travel industry um, that are concerned about the impact of Brexit on on, on British travel and the British travel industry. Um, we It started off in summer this year because I think as a, a number of people that work in the industry, and this isn't just the ski industry, this is tours, British tourism in general. Um, we, we were concerned about the potential risks of Brexit on the industry. Um, and so a number of us got together to see um, <clears throat> if there was an interest to do something about it. So as I said, it's it's about 100 different companies and our aims are trying to raise awareness of the potential impacts of Brexit on the UK outbound travel industry. Um, and to that end, we're lobbying the British and European governments, mainly to allow British citizens to continue to be able to work in Europe for British companies on a temporary basis to meet the seasonal demands of the tourism industry after Brexit. Um, now, at the moment, outbound tourism, the, the industry employs 25,000 people on an annual basis. These are mainly young British staff working in Europe 
Um, it's responsible for 16 billion of UK GDP and actually contributes um, about 1 billion in tax revenues to the UK Treasury. All of that is at risk from Brexit. And so we, as I said, we are raising awareness of that and trying to lobby the UK government to allow British companies to continue to operate and to employ British people for them to work in Europe post-Brexit. But surely, I mean, it will happen. We'll find ways around it. It's not like it won't happen. We don't, you don't genuinely think that there's going to be a massive end. Suddenly, we won't be having um, uh, chalet well, holidays. We're very hopeful that the UK and the European Union will come up with an arrangement which will allow us to carry on. Um, but at the moment, and with some of the things that are being talked about, that is definitely a risk. Um, just just to explain at the moment um, how things work. When, when you go on holiday, um, the majority of British holidaymakers will book their holidays with British companies and then be looked after in resorts by British staff. So when you arrive at Geneva Airport, and I know in you've been this yourself, you're met by a British rep and looked after by a British rep and taken to your chalet when you're looked after British chalet staff. Um, all of these people, the British seasonaires that keep many of the popular European ski resorts functioning, at the moment they are um, allowed to work without visas um, as a result of us being part of the single market and under EU laws. If we leave the European single market, um, then there is a grave risk that uh, the companies that are currently employing these British people either might not be allowed to employ those British people or may have to apply for visas and work permits for that to happen. Now, um, as, as you'll probably both know, um, these are temporary jobs for most people. Most people only do one ski season that they work. Um, they only tend to think about doing this a few months before they go out. So the recruitment for seasonaires tends to be in August, September every year. If we get to a situation where the companies then need to apply for work permits um, and um, for, uh, for, um, for visas for those people to work over, there's no guarantee that the people that they've chosen in August or September will have the visas or work permits in order for them to start work. This massively increases the risks of a company being able to provide the very smooth service that they currently do for, um, for British operators in the Alps. Can, can I ask a question um, in relation to this? I mean, saying, you know, it's the British staff that keep the ski resorts functioning, but surely, um, you know, European or EU staff could perform that role as adequately, assuming that they uh, speak um, English? There, yes, there is. Uh, there's, there's no reason why they couldn't uh, perform some of the roles, but you need to think a little bit about um, the holidays that are being offered. The the British chalet, um, one of the attractive um, features of a British chalet holiday is that it is a home from home, um, that you are looked after by, by British staff. Um, and so actually, if that changes, it does actually alter the um, the makeup of the holiday and maybe how attractive it is to, um, to, ski, um, to um, British skiers. But also, um, the majority of these companies that employ these people are British. 
So they have, they operate in the UK and they have all of their recruitment set up to recruit people in the UK. It's, it's going to be very problematic and costly um, for those mainly small companies to start setting up recruiting operations in Europe. And a lot of them won't have the facilities or um, to be able to do that, or it will increase the costs uh, to the companies and therefore on ski holidays itself. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I uh, agree with what you're saying there. And I think that possibly one of the areas, I mean, to me, this seems kind of, it, it, it seems obvious, but I think maybe to a regular skier, they're not aware of the fact that if freedom of movement um, is is ended and British staff can't be seconded over to France and Austria and Italy, as, as you describe it at the moment, then British companies will have to recruit, uh, you know, European staff and it will be more expensive. It's not necessarily the cost of recruitment. It's fitting in with the, the social welfare costs that uh, exist in those countries. And so someone who enjoys a chalet holiday needs to be mindful that, you know, probably you're going to see an increase in cost if things stay on the same basis of 20 to 30 percent if freedom of movement, you know, ends. Why wasn't this written on the side of a bus somewhere? <laughs> I think there are a lot of things that should have been written on the side of a bus that weren't. The side of the bus um, that goes around, uh, you know, goes around Merivale. Talking of which, I know this isn't directly related to this, but I saw that Aaron Banks has been out in Merivale recently and, and been involved in uh, some Twitter spats. Do you know who he is? Is, he, is he? I have heard of him. You know who he is, uh, Jim? Um, just uh, Googling him now. <laughs> He's the leader of the. He was. He was one of the big funders behind the Vote Leave campaign. Yeah, exactly. oh, right. Yeah, with you. So he's been out in Maribel, and a couple of people have said, "Oh, you know, that it's all right for you going out on your uh, on your skiing holiday, but don't you realise uh, how it's going to affect everyone else, etc." He's had a bit of a Twitter war with everyone, but that's that's not relevant to this. I mean, I think I think it's important what you're doing is um, making it, it more aware, and if we can retain um, freedom of movement then that will be beneficial for ski industries, uh, ski companies, and that will be beneficial for, for every skier because it will uh, avoid rising prices. But I think that any smart tour operator out there right now needs to be diversifying and thinking about accommodation that doesn't include that catered uh, element packaged into it. Uh, and it's where a company that you mentioned before, like Club Med, you know, it has a real advantage because Club Med does offer... A, a package which is catered already and they employ uh, European staff so they're you know they're ahead of the game in that respect and I, I heard somewhere else that that's why they're aggressively targeting the UK market at the moment because they can see that they can pick up a lot of people from chalet companies if and when this change does come in. And do you think we'll also see like um, a stronger a stronger presence from people like Erna Lowe who effectively just offer self-catered accommodation? For sure. I think self-catering is much more likely to become uh, not the norm, but, you know, become more common. And I think that, um, you know, people who are able to offer catering services in resort who are, you know, French companies, you know, based out there will be a will be a better or um, a solution that will be more manageable than trying to offer your own uh, catered accommodation with British staff. So, Charlie, what, 
what are the SBT going to do then? So they're going to lobby hard to try and yes. just encourage um, we, freedom of movement? Well, there's a few things we've done. Um, all of our members have sent letters to their MPs um, explaining why um, we were uh, explaining the issues and the risk to the travel industry. And we've asked them to contact uh, Dexoon David Davis. We've also um, put together our own industry impact assessment, uh, which we released a few weeks ago. Um, and this is backed by um, research, um, it's based on research fund done by CVR. Um, and this is how one of the ways that we've actually managed to calculate that there are 25,000 mainly young, job, young, um, uh, young British staff, their job at risk as a result of this and, and and that's kind of the thing i want to focus on um just actually a, a, around this table uh, myself and ian we have both done a number of ski seasons um i'm now in the fortunate position of being managing director of european pubs ian has gone on and off the back of that run a couple of successful companies that are related to the ski industry a lot of these twenty-five thousand jobs british jobs that are at risk uh people that do these jobs go on to do fantastic things in the in the in the industry and i think yeah, if you take such as, such as the founder of this podcast uh, jim who also did seasons <laughs> yeah um and if you take those twenty five thousand um jobs and, and most of these are first jobs for people and they get wonderful experience um they the, um, the cultural experience they get, as you've just been talking about, when things like Snowmageddon happen, having very young people to have to cope with large amounts of people, what they're going to do and to try and actually make their ski holidays work. They're fairly pressured um, positions. And I think it would just be a grave shame, not just for future seasonaires who might miss out on this opportunity, but for actually the British economy in, as, in, in a whole uh, will lose these very critical first jobs for, um, for young people. I think that person like it would be a great shame to lose the experience of being a seasonaire. Like I've often said that it's like um, going to university but without the debt, depending on how much you spend, I suppose. But it's it's such a great experience, and if nothing else, it would be a massive shame for people to lose the ability to go and do that and um, uh, start businesses, as you've said. So, thank you very much, Charles, for um, bringing all that information to the table. I'd be interested in hearing from anyone listening. Um, you can email us at the ski podcast at gmail.com. If what would you do if chalet holidays no longer existed? Where would you go and how would you holiday? So if you've got an opinion on that, do let us know. I'd be very interested. Right, now it's time for Korean Corner. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> we're getting closer and closer now. It's next month that the uh, Olympics uh, start. And uh, Dave Riding is coming into form just at the right time of the season. You know, we mentioned him in, in our last update, had his uh, best result of the season. He's now had three top 10 finishes in two weeks. Uh, so he is, he is in good form. He came seventh in um, the World Cup in Zagreb, which I think is on Thursday of this week. He was 18th after the first run, but um, drove through uh, to finish seventh overall. And then in midweek, uh, they had a kind of strange, com well, I say it's a strange competition, not a regular slalom. It was a head-to-head -head, uh, parallel slalom event, but he ended up uh, coming fourth on that. Uh, so also a very good result. And he beat uh, Marcel Hirschner in a head-to-head. -head. So, you know, that would have done his confidence, uh, you know, a great boost as well. So he is really coming into form. And is a, he's got, I would say it's not likely he's going to win a medal. 
but he is a possibility worth to, a bet, uh, to win a medal. And yeah, oh, worth a bet. I would imagine the odds would be would be reasonably good uh, on him. Talking, um, yeah, maybe we need to work out exactly what date he's going to do that so we uh, pay attention to it. Otherwise, there hasn't been much in the, uh, the freestyle uh, side of things. Uh, there are a couple of moguls and aerials competitions going on uh, today. Um, there's some more women's um, slalom today, but there has been some more cross country. And uh, we mentioned Andrew Musgrave, who's been doing uh, very well. But there's another Andrew doing the cross country, which is Andrew Young. Uh, and he actually uh, had his best uh, result for a couple of years. He came 10th uh, in the sprint event. Uh, beating Andrew Musgrave uh, along the way. So, uh, you know, I, I would say he's not um, you know, a likely medal prospect. Still, Andrew Musgrave is the one to watch out for. But, um, you know, there's some possibilities there. I was also doing a bit of research into the cross-country side of things because they keep talking about classic cross-country and freestyle cross-country. And would you believe that freestyle is, you know, the the radical new technique introduced in the 1980s? What, what classic style is, is when you have your two skis in, in like a rut, you know, in a line and you move forward, keeping them in line the whole time. But in freestyle, you're allowed to skate as well. And they have a strange system in the Olympics where they they alternate freestyle and classic across each discipline at every Olympics. So I guess it depends, you know, you need a, a little bit of luck for your particular strength to uh, to, to, to come through for your particular uh, event. And there's about there's about half a dozen different uh, cross country events going on uh, in the Olympics. So there's, you know, there's a few chances there. So otherwise, yeah, that's it for Korean Corner. Exciting stuff. I'm almost tempted to change my New Year's resolution to learn cross country skiing instead of building an igloo. <laughs> yeah but um i'll let you know what I, what i decide next week that is all we've got time for charlie thank you very much for joining us it's been um very insightful and good luck with the campaign um if anything we can do to help please let us know if you could um please point people to the website sbit.org.uk and um encourage people to get involved and to share the issues and if they feel strongly about it with their mp about some of the issues yeah. we're raising well i'll tell you what we'll definitely tweet that out from uh, at the ski podcast uh, where you can also uh, contact us as well so uh, at the ski podcast on twitter and we'll share those links afterwards thanks a lot charlie Thank you very much. We'll be back in a fortnight's time with more of the same chat about skiing and snowboarding. From me and Ian, goodbye. Bye.